0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the PackerNet Podcast. I'm your host and resident analyst, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore Well, today I want to kind of just look at a couple things from um, sort of a different vantage point, I guess. For example, PFF uh, posted PFF Packers or whatever on their Twitter by the way, if you're trying to reach out to me on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and I'm not responding, I apologize. I'm taking a social media break, so I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just just stepping away for a bit. Anyways, um, I did see that they posted Sammy Watkins 1,000 yards. You know, could that possibly happen? Something to that effect. And so I think my first thought or my first reaction was, go look at what Sammy Watkins has done in the past. Um, but also just kind of to look at it and say what, to kind of put a 1,000 yards into a category and to say Sammy Watkins isn't in that category, therefore no. right, so the the first answer to the first question is he's done it once. In 2015 with Buffalo, he had 1,047 yards and nine touchdowns. 2014 with Buffalo, 982. 2019 with Kansas City, 961. Those are the three times he was pretty close. But even generally, I just think that we tend to look at Sammy Watkins and then look at a 1,000 yards and say those two things aren't really compatible. But I did kind of want to look at what is a 1,000-yard receiver, just to get an idea of how incredibly impossible it really is. There were 25 guys that reached that 1,000-yard mark, the lowest of which was Hollywood Brown, Marquise Brown, whatever. First of all, Hollywood Brown had a 68.6 overall grade, 68.7 receiving grade. That is to say, he's not Tyreek Hill. He's not Devontae Adams. He's not an elite wide receiver by any stretch. He's a small fast guy. So right away the idea that, you know and I'm not even saying Sammy Watkins is a just flat out bad receiver, I'm not trying to say that, but the idea that thousand yard receivers are good receivers. Sammy Watkins isn't isn't a good receiver, therefore he's not going to get a thousand yards, can kind of dispel that. The other thing, and maybe a lot of this is just happening in my own mind, I don't know. But the other thing is, well, then you're talking massive volume and also just a bunch of 100-yard, maybe even a couple 200-yard games sprinkled in between. Well, as far as receptions go, there were no less than three receptions in a game. So there's no zero reception, one reception, two reception games. Three receptions was the minimum. But I also thought that it was pretty interesting that the most receptions he had all year was 10, and he only did it once. That was against the Packers. He had three, three reception games. In fact, three, 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 four, four, five, 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 six, 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 eight, nine, nine, ten. So there's not just a massive amount of volume. I mean, he only had four games with more than six receptions. And as far as big games, he only had three that were at a hundred yards. The most he ever had um, this past year was against Indy, 125 yards. Now, 300-yard games isn't isn't nothing. I mean, that's that's pretty significant. I'm not going to pretend it's not. But after that, it's 91-80, 69, 55, 53, 51, 44. So, I mean, it drops from those 100-yard games down to 90 to 80 to 60 to 50. I mean, it just drops off quickly. You've got a 27, 28, 35, 37, 44, 43, 44, 40, uh, 51, 53, 55. More than half the season was 50s or lower. And he graded out poorly in just about all those games. But he's still a 1,000-yard receiver, so... Again, revisiting that question, my my immediate gut reaction when I saw that is to chuckle and say, no, that's stupid. But really what it comes down to is health, number one. That's the biggest thing with Sammy Watkins, obviously. But if if we can assume health, and and Hollywood Brown played 16 games, so it's not as though you can't miss a game. In fact, A.J. Brown played 14 games and still hit it. Obviously, you're going to have to have bigger numbers if you're going to do that. Chris Godwin did it with 14 games. Jalen Waddell was 16. Brandon Cooks was 16. Keenan Allen Tyler Lockett all 16. I mean even his yards per reception was not that crazy it's 11.1 yards per reception. Jamar Chase was 17.2 Tyler Lockett 16. I mean th- th- there's there's much higher numbers and that 11.1 is relatively low in fact of all the guys getting a thousand yards that's one of the lowest. Deontay Johnson Keenan Allen um, Hunter Renfro these are basically the only guys that are lower. And obviously that just means more targets, more receptions, and everything to compensate for that. But the the point is, it's not that crazy of a metric. If we assume health, is it possible? I know it's unfair to assume health because he hasn't been healthy, but if we assume a lack of health, then obviously he's not going to be 1,000 yards. So if we assume relative health, he missed a game or two, like a normal football player. I think at that point, the, the biggest complication is where does he fall in terms of his role in the offense compared to Randall Cobb compared to Alan Lazard Amari Christian Watson etc etc now if I'm being honest I I, I don't think two guys reach a thousand yards although it is possible Devontae had 1600 by himself if you spread that out you've almost got 2000 yards these yards have to go somewhere and I doubt any one person is going to be getting 1600 by themselves but I do think if I had to pick one it would probably be Alan Lazard however I I i mean i think a lot of people are going to look at that and say well duh it's going to be alan lazard but again if, if you assume health sammy watkins has been a pretty good and solid and productive receiver in his career when he's on the field i mean if you just look at last year before he went out with injury right away um the first five weeks he had four 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 two receptions so he did fall below three but consistently getting receptions he did have a 96 yard game that was in week one his lowest was 35 yards so he wasn't on pace for a thousand, but he was kind of hitting those benchmarks at least. Year before that, again, five games, averaging about four yard, a little over four yards, uh, four receptions per game. Week one, again, that seems to be his sweet spot, 82 yards. So, I mean, the the obvious answer to the question is probably not. The safe money is probably not. But again, the last time he played a full season, and by full I mean he missed a couple games. He had 961 yards. Now, granted, that includes three playoff games, including the Super Bowl, three postseason games, I should say. Without that, he falls pretty, pretty well short. But I'm going to stand by it really just depends on two factors, his health and his role in the offense. If, if he's healthy and is the number one wide receiver, I think he crushes 1,000 yards. But again, the easy money is a no, because one or both of those things uh, is probably not going to, to happen. Now in terms of somebody else's potential of cracking a thousand yards, we'll get to that with something else I want to talk about. But before we get there, um, you know, we've spent some time talking about the wide receivers and expectations of rookie seasons based on, you know, what prior rookies have done in green Bay and elsewhere. And it kind of got me thinking what have rookies at other positions traditionally done? I'm kind of looking at it from the opposite perspective, right? So there's, there's two ways to look at it. Number one is, like we did last time, which is to say, not necessarily, right? Just because this usually happens doesn't mean it always happens. However, what usually happens is still kind of important. And that's what I want to look at. What generally is the expectation for rookies at different positions? And so if we look at our first pick Quay Walker and try to look at expectations, I will say it's quite a bit different than wide receiver. It depends on the statistical filter and linebacker is really tough because you know, we all know that the tackling statistic is kind of dumb, but at the same time, there's not a whole lot um, to look at. I mean, you can look at interceptions and sacks, I guess. But if you look at um, the top linebackers as far as tackles go, uh, there were, let's see, how many do we have here? Doopy doopy do do. 15 linebackers that cracked 100 tackles. Nobody had more than 131. What are the odds that Quay comes in and is a 100-tackle dude, like Devondre Campbell was at 117? It's honestly not that low. If you look at linebackers, let's just look specifically at first-round draft pick linebackers, which there haven't been many of them, but, you know, again, that's kind of to Quay's advantage. There really were only two. I mean, you did have Nick Perry, but he only played six games, started five. But you had Nick Barnett who had 112 tackles, and A.J. Hawk had 121. A.J. Hawk would have been fifth. His rookie season would have ranked fifth this past year. So, I mean, again, it's a small sample size, and it might not be the everybody's favorite stat, but if you look at this particular stat, similar to we've looked at with wide receiver yards, you look at yards at wide receiver and say it's very unlikely that they crack a 1,000 yards just based on the past. If you look at tackles for linebackers, at least for first-round picks, 2-0. and so that's not a huge benchmark to get over. And again, you know, you you, you could look at sacks, but e- even that, you know, okay, AJ Hawk had um, three and a half. Nick Barnett had two. But the NFL is very different. Linebackers as pass rushers wasn't as big of a deal back when we drafted AJ Hawk. So again, it, it's it's tough to it's tough to do linebacker, but it's still an encouraging stat. Anyways, let's move on to something a little bit more exciting, and that is defensive tackle, because with defensive tackle, you can use a stat that's a little bit more fun, and that's sacks. Unfortunately, um, the history of at least Packers early round, first round defensive tackles performing in year one is probably even less encouraging than it is wide receiver. Again, it doesn't mean anything in terms of what has to happen, and we can expand this out to not just first-round picks, not just Packers, etc., but to at least start with uh, on a basic level. And I think, again, this goes back to 2000? Because we're looking specifically at, at draft picks and whatnot in their first years. But for the Packers, that's Justin Harrell, Kenny Clark, B.J. Raji. Combined. Justin Harrell's first year, Kenny Clark's first year, B.J. Raji's first year. Combined, one sack. That's three first-round picks, one sack. And surprisingly, it was B.J. Raji that got that one sack. Kenny Clark did not have a single sack in his first year um, as a Green Bay Packer. Now, granted, he started in two games, played in 16, but started in two. But even so, it's not the most encouraging stat. Now again, situations are different, et cetera, et cetera. We'll see how it goes. But you know, if we're going to try to say that we need him more, talking about Devontae Wyatt, I don't know that that's necessarily an easy case to make. Not only do the Packers have guys that they like playing defensive tackle, but it's not like when we drafted Kenny Clark, we just were loaded with defensive tackle help or or talent. And so again, when we're talking defensive rookie of the year type stuff, there's there's a couple things working against Devontae Wyatt. And again, he's his own guy. It's a, it's a completely different situation. Everything is completely different. The Maybe the biggest benefit... There's, there's two big benefits for Devontae Wyatt. Number one is his age, which again, generally a negative. However, again, we're kind of getting him at his peak, which isn't a good thing necessarily for the longevity of his career. But in terms of his ability to play in year one as compared to year two, three, four, five, if you're looking for a guy that's going to peak as a rookie which, again, isn't necessarily a good thing, Devontae Wyatt is kind of in that category. That's not to say he can't get better year two, three, four, whatever, but he doesn't have age on his side, except in this one category. In fact, hilariously enough, I'm looking at uh, rookies, guys that played in their first years. If you look at the ages in which they were drafted of the top five, 23, 24, 23, 23, 23. All of them were 23 or 24. There's no 21, 22-year-olds on this list. I mean, there is once you get past um, five, but (laughs) I don't think that's a coincidence. I think coming out of the gate hot has to do with being at sort of your best. The other benefit that he has is working in the Packers' defense. There's a lot of talent in other places, and that's going to work to his benefit. Having Rashawn Gary on one side, Kenny Clark on the other is a massive benefit. Having two solid linebackers behind you is a benefit. Having really good corners, just DBs in general. It's going to work to your benefit in terms of having extra time to be able to get to the quarterback, et cetera, et cetera. The things that are working against him. Number one, as I've pointed out via PFF, there has not been a defensive tackle drafted, like period, that has produced in year one in quite a long time. 2021, uh, the highest graded, if we're just looking at grades, not stats, highest graded rookie was Davion Nixon, 66 overall grade. That was the best out of Jeez. Uh, 30? 30 guys, I think. Not one was even graded as good. Last year, it was um, my man Raekwon. If you guys know anything about me, you know that I am uh, I'm a bit of a Raekwon fan. I made like two YouTube videos <laughs> last year just about how much I loved Raekwon. So it was him and Je- Justin Matabweke. So there were a couple. Also, Aaron Crawford, who played just a handful of snaps, so that doesn't count. But two guys. That's out of 35 um you've got uh compare that to one two three four five six seven guys that were in the 30s one two three four five six seven eight nine ten guys in the 40s one two three four five six seven guys in the 50s oh no actually there's more than that um point is defensive tackles out of the gate at least recently, have really struggled, and I'm sure there's a reason for that. It's probably similar to wide receivers just blowing up. It has something to do with the changing of the game, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know, but defensive tackles are really having a hard time acclimating to the NFL. Now, obviously, they they get better as time goes on. There's some great defensive tackles in the NFL, but the recent crops, in their first years, at least, nada. So it's tough out there, and look, maybe it was just a couple bad classes. That's entirely possible. It's entirely possible that, you know, once the draft gets going, we just assume everybody's going to be great, and we just kind of turn a blind eye to the fact that, no, it actually isn't that good of a class. The other thing that I think is working against them is is looking on the statistical side. Um, I mentioned the Green Bay Packers, but looking at just, you know, everybody. (laughs) First-round draft picks since—actually, this goes back further than I thought— wow this is this is worse news than I was anticipating and granted listen uh the, the whole 10 sack thing isn't um anything super special in terms of you know 10 year elite anything less than you're that you're a bum i mean you can have six seven eight nine sacks and and have a good year but i'm just thinking defensive rookie of the year right you're really gonna have to stand out how are you gonna do that i don't know that five sacks on its own is is gonna merit anything Super wonderful as far as uh, the nod for Defensive Rookie of the Year. This is going back, um, trying to see the oldest one I can find so far. 1963. 1961 is the oldest I can find. We've got uh, first round picks, defensive tackles, 136 of them. Okay. How many since the 60s have come in and had 10 sack seasons? Three. And Dominican Sue did it in 2010. He got exactly 10 sacks as a rookie with the Lions. Dana Stubfield in 1993 had 10.5 with San Francisco. Keith Millard had 11 sacks in 1985 with Minnesota. Mean Joe Green had 9.5. Aaron Donald had 9. Marcel Darius and Fletcher Cox each had 5.5 in their rookie seasons. We're talking about some of the best defensive tackles, you know, everish. You know, Quinn and Williams recently, obviously somewhat of a disappointing player, but two and a half sacks in his rookie season. Vita Vea had three. We know Vita Vea is a great football player, right? But we're talking rookie season, three. I mentioned Kenny Clark had zero. That same year, Robert Camdici was drafted, had zero. Danny Shelton, zero. Uh, Mar- uh, Michael Brockers had four. Don Terry Poe had zero. Nick Fairley, Remember that dude? That was a good football player. He had one. So again, I'm just going down the list and picking really good football players. Not all of them, I guess. But in general, it's not great. Nada, one. I mentioned Raji, one. Gerald McCoy, three. Vince Wilfork, two. And a lot of these guys did play. You know, Javon Kinlaw this past, uh, well, two years ago, I guess it was, started 12 games, had one and a half sacks in 12 games. Deron Payne. Five sacks in 16 games. Danny Shelton played 15. Aaron Donald played tw- st- played 16, started 12. Star Tulale started all 16. Don Terry Poe started all 16, had zero sacks. Marcel Darius, 15. Just got five and a half sacks. So the point is that the numbers aren't great for rookie defensive tackles, right? Recent history says the grades haven't been good. The entire NFL history, and I'm just looking at first round picks. There's probably some others and I can expand it out, although that isn't really going to help us finding a random fifth-round pick that tore it up. But NFL history, looking at first-round draft picks, how do they perform year one? There's some. And again, our guy's got some stuff working in his favor. But, I mean, if he gets to five, he's, he's like top 30 already. And it's going to be hard to stand out because you get into the NFL, Aaron Donald's got 19 sacks. Jeff Simmons had 14 sacks. Cam Hayward had 11. Jonathan Allen had 10. Javon Hargrave had 10. Chris Jones had 10. Eric Armstead had 10. DeForest Buckner, 9. B.J. Hill, Chris Wormley, Larry Ogunjobi, Leonard Williams all had 8. I mean, there's there's 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 guys that are 8 plus sack defensive tackles. So if you're... 15th on the list in terms of sacks and granted there's other things defensive tackles can do but um, it's just going to be hard to stand out as that dude was a freak right Um, Micah Parsons was easy to see why he stood out because he was dominant not just by rookie linebacker standards but by entire NFL standards and that's what you're really looking for so um, again not impossible just looking at the full body of um, everything it would be a bit of a long shot, for sure. Something else we should probably keep in mind, Kenny Clark has never had more than six sacks in a season. So, <laughs> you, know, um, you know, I think we at least have to say he's got to get five, for sure. On top of just generally being recognized and noticed by the media with, you know, just being a good football player. Which is hard to do because, again, with all the voting and everything else, you want to see flashy stuff. You want to see picks, you want to see sacks, you want to see something. So he's got to have some highlight reels, some kind of you know chasing quarterbacks down from behind like he did in college type stuff to, to just to get his name on the radar. Because, again, the only other thing he's really got going for him that can get his name on the radar is sacks. And it's just so hard looking at the full-body evidence to think that he's going to be able to accumulate enough sacks to be able to get that job done. Which, again, is why I'm kind of looking at Quay Walker a little bit more in terms of his ability to waltz into that Defensive Rookie of the Year thing easier than Devontae Wyatt probably will. By the way, one guy does get added to this list when we remove um, first-round picks, and that is Mr. Santana Dotson. Name we should all be familiar with. Fifth-round pick just came out and absolutely crushed it, which is pretty crazy to think about what he did. Almost nobody ever does that. Three first-round picks ever have done it. He's a fifth-round pick that came in and just absolutely dominated It's also the only year he ever did that. And by the way, 23 years old. So I really do think that uh, that's going to end up working in your favor. Joe Green also, 23 years old. Aaron Donald, 23 years old. Joe Klecko, 24. Jimmy Jones, 24. Charles Johnson, 25. Now there's really only one other guy to to consider, and that's uh, Kingsley Enigbar, and the question of expectations for him. Now, if you just look at pass rushers in their first year, um, there's plenty to pick from that have, uh, had great years. In fact, I'm looking at 38 had 10 plus sacks in their first years. Um, that's not just first round picks. That's everybody, but obviously our guy isn't a first round pick. So why would we look at first round picks? But, uh, Clay Matthews is one of them. He had 10 sacks coming right out. He had 19 guys with 11 or more, 12 guys with 12 or more include, including, uh, Julius Peppers. Seven guys with 13 or more, including Reggie White. Um, four guys with 14 or more, three with 15 or more, uh, two with 17 or more. Tony Klein had 17 and a half back in 1970. And then Al Baker, 1978, 23 sacks as a rookie. We're an absolute monster. 23 sacks, followed that up with 16, followed that up with 17 and a half. My goodness. Now, if we remove first round picks from that, we have 14, um edge rushers with 10 or more sacks. That does include Al Baker and Tony Klein with 17 and 23. If we remove second round picks, we're down to seven. And only two of those seven are recent history. Max Crosby had 10 in 2019, and uh, Mark Anderson had 12 in 2006 with the Bears. If we take out the third rounders, we're down to seven. Still doing pretty good, though. I mean, we've got, you know, 11 guys with nine or more. We've got 19 guys with eight or more. So there's still a, a pretty big pile including uh, tim harris from green bay 1986 at eight sacks but finally if we look at fifth round picks or later four guys 10 or more sacks um five with nine or more eight with eight or more as far as recent history Styles white eight sacks in 2007 carlos hall in 2002 mark anderson 12 sacks in 2006 so certainly feels a lot less impossible obviously the odds are stacked against him. And again, it's not just about 10 sacks, but it's, about, it's just about general production when you're looking at sacks. What are the odds he comes in and produces at this level? Now, again, availability is going to be the biggest thing. Is he healthy, and does he have a spot on this team? And, and more than likely, if, he's, if, if you told me he got 10 sacks, I'm telling you, Rashawn or Preston got hurt. But even without that, he's, he's got a real good shot at being the number three. Maybe not higher than 50% shot, but it's a decent enough shot. And if you can be the number three guy as heavily as they rotate, I mean, if you're in the top four, you're going to play a good chunk. You look at Jonathan Garvin, for example. He played 400 snaps compared to Rashawn Rashawn Gary's 700. And so even at that, if he has, you know, even Rashawn Gary's sack rate, which, as we've said, Rashawn Gary's sack rate isn't necessarily very high. His pressure rate is. He's a good pass rusher, but the sack rate isn't necessarily elite. You're looking at about six sacks. For a number three guy, and that's that's excluding injury, we're just talking about you're, you're next in line after we pull Preston and Rashawn so that they can get a breather. If you can perform at a relatively high level, 30 pressures, 6 sacks is not impossible. So anyways, I found that uh, pretty interesting to look at. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and uh, take a look at wide receiver from another different angle. We're all about angles today. By the way, if you're wondering why the episode is late, I apologize, but it's a holiday got the day off, slept in a little bit, etc., etc. But we'll take a break, and we'll be right back. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great, you'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. So I was coming through some different things, reading a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and I was looking at the insider box thing over at Packers.com. I just want to read one of the questions just so you know what kind of sparked me wanting to look into this, but here's here's what they wrote. This offseason reminds me of the offseason after Sterling Sharp's career-ending injury. Hopefully we'll have similar success post-Adams, but would you agree that an even bigger picture for the 2022 season will be how Bakhtiari Jenkins and Alexander perform after a significant injury? So... Kind of just disregarding the question, but it was the first part that got me thinking a little bit. This season reminds me of the offseason after Sterling Sharp's career-ending injury. We've been here before. Now, I was young, I don't necessarily remember very clearly, but the point is there's another thing that we can look at. How dire, how awful, how horrible is it when a star suddenly leaves? When a guy that is this much of your offense disappears, what happens to the team? Let's take a look first at Sterling Sharp. So no question, one of, if not the greatest wide receiver in Green Bay Packers history. Um, Career cut way too short. He would have been one of the all-time greats had he had a a longer career. But um, even later on, it seemed like he was hitting his stride even more so than than in previous years. Looking at 1992 at the age of 27, he had 1,461 yards and 13 touchdowns. 1993, 1,274 and 11 touchdowns. 1994, 1,119 yards, 18 touchdowns. Dominant. Led the league in touchdowns that year for wide receivers on top of cracking 1,100 yards for the third year in a row. And then he's done. He's gone. No more football for him. So think about that. I mean, this has been a completely irrelevant team since forever. You finally hit a stroke of luck with this one player that is just maybe the best in all of football right now. Just an absolute freak show. I mean, you got some, some serious wide receivers back in the day, but still, he, he's up there. You also are just starting to realize what you have in, in your new quarterback, Brett Favre. So we finally have a quarterback. We finally have a wide receiver. Things are finally starting to look promising. But even still, we've had three straight 9-7 and seven seasons, so it, we haven't really been able to crack anything super phenomenal. I think we are a four-win team, and then nine and seven, nine and seven, nine and seven under Mike Holmgren, and then we lose one of the best players, if not the best player, on the entire team, Sterling Sharp. We're doomed. It's over. Right, we had a good run. It was fun, but it just can't be done anymore. You can't replicate a guy just magically getting 1,100 yards. And if you look at it, the next highest guy was Robert Brooks, 648 yards and four touchdowns. Then you had Edgar Bennett um who's not even a wide receiver 500 yards and four touchdowns so that it would be kind of like what we have now with alan lazard you know he's a good good for 600 yards and four touchdowns and then you've got your running back aaron jones as your next best receiver i mean it's it's just not the greatest situation ever and we lost our star wide receiver what happened in 1995 11 and 5 first in the nfc central made it to the playoffs um beat the falcons beat the 49ers lost to the cowboys 27 38 in the conference championship my memory's not great but i vividly remember these playoff appearances and losses it felt like every year we'd go there and we'd lose hated the lions and the and the cowboys it just seemed like it was the same teams that were so hard to beat 49ers but think about that did the wide receiver room get better no did the team get better absolutely the team absolutely got better So the interesting thing is, if you look at just, you know, points and whatnot, the offense took a slight step back. The defense took a couple steps forward. Very very minimally. I mean, the the 1994 team was top 10 offense and defense. 1995 team, top 10 offense and defense. But the offense did take one step back. They were fifth on offense. They went to sixth. The defense went from sixth to fourth. But here's the other interesting thing. It's not just that, while the defense improved a little bit and the team overall got better and they were a better team despite losing um, one of their best players. It's not just that. It's a matter of what happened to the wide receivers. Who filled in that void? It was Robert Brooks. Robert Brooks, the guy who was known for, you know, being a decent guy that you can kind of rely on. You know, I mean, he's fine. He's good for his, you know, 600 yards, maybe, you know. Uh, 1992 in his rookie season 126 yards 93 180 94 he kind of had his breakout season 600 yards and four touchdowns that's it that's robert brooks love robert brooks right i was a huge robert brooks fan as a kid always liked him i, I think i mentioned i had one of those little packers lockers when i was a kid and um you know my grandparents would telling me you're supposed to put schlip on it and i was like no i want to put brooks on it so i put brooks on my on my locker but i don't think the expectation was he's going to fill that void you know what Robert Brooks did? One thousand four hundred and ninety-seven yards and thirteen touchdowns. He basically tied Sterling Sharp's best year: fifteen hundred yards and thirteen touchdowns. This is a third-round pick that has not produced in three years. And again, he—he's fine. He had a good year, but who in their right mind is thinking I bet Robert Brooks will put up fifteen hundred yards and thirteen touchdowns next year? Nobody's thinking that. Sterling Sharp can barely even do that. But guess what? Robert Brooks did it. And it's not because Robert Brooks is as good as Sterling Sharp. It's not. There was just a void there, and somebody needed to step up. Somebody had to catch those balls from Brett Favre, and Robert Brooks was the guy. He had been there for three years. He had built a relationship with Brett Favre. He was a reliable target, and in that vacuum, Robert Brooks filled the void. He got all the targets. He caught all the balls. He got all the touchdowns. And there's the stats, just sitting there looking you right in the face. How about the very next year? We've got a star, his name is Robert Brooks, 1,500 yards, 13 touchdowns, unbelievable, we're going to keep this train rolling, guess what, Robert Brooks gets hurt, he only plays seven games. Now what do we do? Now we're in trouble. Well, there was this one guy the year before in 1995, he had 106 yards and one touchdown. His name is Antonio Freeman. And again, in that void, he started, he played and started in only 12 games, and in only 12 games, 933 yards and nine touchdowns. He filled the void. He came in to fill in for Robert Brooks, and he shot off like a rocket. The next year, he played and started 16 games, 1,200 yards, 12 touchdowns. This is another third-round pick. Now, you, we, can, we can do this however you want. We can look at Amari Rogers and be like, yeah, he didn't do Jack, and then filled the void and exploded. I'm guessing most people don't want to do that, but that's an option. We've talked about two third-round picks now. But I think the more obvious parallel here is Alan Lazard. Disregard the, the draft spot. Lazard is where he is and I think he fits that Robert Brooks mold perfectly not talking about build or anything like that I just mean he's a guy that's been there he's got the trust he's reliable and there's a vacuum to be filled and it just makes sense but even if it's not Sammy Watkins Randall Cobb whoever point is we have the the history we've seen this happen over and over again even um even with Sharp there was a year in between and so it may not be all that comforting, but we had James Lofton. James Lofton was a good wide receiver. The dude put up some numbers. He left. What do we do? Well, again, there was a year in between, and then the year after the, the year of no receivers, Sterling Sharp appears. And the funny thing is that the, the, the year that Robert Brooks went down and Antonio Freeman popped up, that was the year we won the Super Bowl in 1996. So we, we lost Sterling Sharp. We found a replacement for Sterling Sharp, that guy went down, we found a replacement for him, both of those guys third round picks, we go on to win a Super Bowl. The next year when Robert Brooks comes back, we have 2,000 yard receivers. Antonio Freeman and Robert Brooks both crack a 1,000 yards in a season. These are third round picks, man. In 2002 we lost Antonio Freeman, the guy had been just crushing it for years. He was our star. What happened in 2002? Donald Driver happened. And again, we look at it from this standpoint and go, well, yeah, Donald Driver's a great football player. Donald Driver was a seventh-round pick who had had 31 yards, 322 yards, and 167 yards. That's it. That's all he'd done. One touchdown each season. 31 yards and a touchdown, 30, 322 and a touchdown, 167 and a touchdown. 2002, Antonio Freeman leaves. He gets 1,064 yards and 9 touchdowns. He's the guy. That's it. You know, and we we've had a steady stream of people coming in so much that... You know, we didn't just have a guy, we had a bunch of guys for, for many, many years. And so this feels like uncharted territory, but it's really not. And and that even includes Devontae Adams. You know, 2015 was the first year when we started to see trouble in, in Green Bay, right? It was a 10-win season. Aaron Rodgers didn't quite seem to be on, you know, things started to seem like they were deteriorating a little bit. Uh, we didn't have a 1,000-yard receiver. James Jones had 890, Randall Cobb 829 after that was Richard Rodgers with 510 Devontae Adams 483 and i think this was his second year and there's a little bit of overlap because you probably say Devonte kind of broke out in 2016 997 yards and 12 touchdowns and Jordy had 1257 and 14 touchdowns so again there was some overlap there it wasn't like Jordy left and then Devonte stepped up but it was a close call cuz again if you go back to 2015 you're starting to look like you know things are a little doom and gloom but it was getting to that point. Jordy was almost done. Randall was on his way out. There weren't a lot of other options. But lo and behold, Devontae stepped up at the right time and here we are. And so again, it doesn't look great. Um, it doesn't look great from the standpoint of you lose a guy like Devontae and that's not replaceable. And from a talent standpoint, that's true. It's actually kind of funny because it's, it's almost like it's the reverse of Sterling Sharp when you look at his last two years. Sterling had the big... 1,500-yard season, and then the, uh, two years later, I guess it was, he had 1,100 yards, which wasn't as good, but he had 18 touchdowns. Devontae this past year had 1,500 yards and 11 touchdowns. The year prior, 1,300 yards, 18 touchdowns. So again, there's nobody on the roster that we can see today that can fill that void, right? We, we started the program by saying, can Sammy Watkins hit a 1,000 yards? And we look at it and just go, nah, probably not. Can can Lazard hit a thousand yards? Well, based on the information we have available, it doesn't seem super likely. But again, there was no information to say Robert Brooks would take the mantle like that. There was no information to say that Antonio Freeman would take the mantle like that. There was no information to say that Donald Driver would step up the way that he did. And based on the first couple of years of Devontae Adams, there's no reason to believe he would be able to step up either. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know from past history. That it seems less to do, and again, I don't mean to take away from Devontae because the guy is incredible and and he he will not be replaced, not anytime soon. However, it does seem as though when a team is really moving, like if you look at the Packers in the 90s or even, you know, the 2000s or whatever with Favre, the offense is going, the wide receivers will catch up, right? Brett Favre is playing, he's playing well, he's going to throw the ball to somebody. If it's you, you get those numbers now. Robert Brooks was not as good as Sterling Sharp, but those passes still had to go somewhere, and he started throwing to Robert Brooks instead of Sterling Sharp, and that's why the numbers look that way. 1,400 yards? For Robert Brooks, that doesn't make sense. But it happened. A third-round pick that had not produced hardly at all. Numbers very similar to what you see from Alan Lazard. Aaron Rodgers and this offense are very talented. He's going to throw the ball. The offense is going to move the ball. It's just a matter of who's going to catch it. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Monday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye bye. Uh, mm.